Well, as always, church, it is so good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I am the downtown campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors and elders here at the Stone. If you have a Bible, go and open up to John 13. Open up to John 13, your Bible or iPad or however you'll be looking at the scriptures with us today. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me. John 13, we'll be there in a little bit. Um, But today is a very unique and exciting Sunday for us as a church because we're taking two weeks after the Gospel of Mark and before we get into Ephesians to stop and consider what does it mean to be a church for this city? What does it mean to be a church for this city? Because we want to be faithful as a church, we want to be faithful to everything God has commanded us in his word, everything. So what that means is sometimes you have to do things a little bit differently in order for you guys to be equipped to follow Jesus wherever he wants you to go, and in particular, for you to follow Jesus however he wants you to serve this city. So today, the service is going to be a little bit shorter, and we have a little bit different application at the end of the service, a very easy, pretty cool way for you to tangibly obey Jesus and his word today. So I'll explain what that's going to be at the end of the sermon, but we're excited about what God's doing among us. Well, when you first um, get married... You first get married, for those of you who are married know this, and if you're not married yet, you can just trust me. When you first get married, you go through a lot of new experiences together. And probably the most embarrassing, most humiliating experience is when you get sick in front of your spouse for the very first time. Now, I don't mean like cough and cold sick. I mean like gross sick. I mean stomach bug sick. I mean I'm hideous, don't look at me sick. That's what I mean. And it, it's, because it, that's the kind of sick that when you're growing up, you're just like, mom, please come take care of me. That's what you want. But then you get married, and now this person is now the person to take care of you in those moments. So for the very first time it happens, you don't like it because you don't look pretty. You don't look strong. You definitely don't look respectable. You don't look good. So it's the very first time, and I can still remember the first time I got sick in that way, and how I was in front of my wife, Lauren, feeling terrible and looking terrible and probably crying a little bit, I'm sure, looking pathetic. And I felt self-conscious. I felt vulnerable. I'm in, I've never been this sick in front of her before. And I remember being amazed at how well she served me, being amazed at how well she took care of me and was kind to me and compassionate to me. And she wasn't doing it because she was getting anything out of it. That's for sure. She was getting nothing out of it. But she loved me, and when we got married, she'd made a vow that said, I'm going to be with you in seasons of health and sickness. And so it was was a really cool experience for me to see how much my wife loves me. But in her service and in her care for me, there was an unwritten expectation. In her service, there was this unspoken expectation, and rightly so. See, when she was serving me, she wasn't thinking this, and she didn't say it out loud, But the unwritten rule is when someone serves you that way when you're that sick, you do the same to them when they get sick. That's the unwritten rule. Could you imagine if the next time, the first time Lauren got sick in our marriage, I go, man, babe, you look terrible. I'm going to leave for a couple days. You'll be okay. I've put tarps over everything. You'll be fine. That That would be ridiculous. Why? Because there's an expectation in her love and service to me that I would replicate that back to her. That's the expectation. It's right and it's good. And it's laced into the love that she's showing me. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus serves his church. He serves his people in extravagant ways, in amazing ways. And he does so because he loves us. 
He does so because he loves us. He, he's humiliated. It cost him everything, and yet he does it because he loves us. But what we're going to see is that when he serves us, laced into his love, there's a certain amount of expectation. A certain amount of expectation that when he serves us, the expectation is that we would now mimic that service to other people. That's the expectation Jesus has. That if he has served you, you have therefore been commissioned to serve other people. I'm going to read that together in John 13. So go ahead and turn there. John 13, 1 through 5. 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, during their last meal together, this is the last meal he has with his disciples, Jesus takes a moment, he stoops down, and he washes their feet. See, during this time, people walked everywhere in sandals. These weren't, these weren't closed-toed shoes. They, they were walking around all day with dirty feet, and so to wash their feet was humiliating. Feet are already disgusting. Imagine them covered in dirt all day. He stoops down and he begins to wash their feet. This was a humiliating task. This was a task that was reserved for the lowest class of people in their day and age. No one was jockeying for this position. No one wanted that position. And yet Jesus stoops down and he assumes the lowest status possible to serve them. He's stooping down. He wants to give them a physical, tangible picture of his heart for them. He's saying, this is what my love is like for you. I care for you. I want to serve you in the most extravagant ways. This is out of love. I want to do this. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, notice what it says. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that statement. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. Their love wavered. Their care wavered. His did not. His did not. He loved them to the end. And it was love that was causing him to stoop down and wash their feet. And it would be the same love that would cause him to walk to the cross and be humiliated once again. To walk to the cross and to be crushed for them. To die for them. It was love prompting it. It wasn't out of um, some obligation. He wanted to. He loved them to the end. And this is the the remarkable truth about Jesus, that he came to serve us, not to be served. He came to serve, not to be served. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that God is telling the world, everyone get better. How many of you think that? You think about God, you think about Christianity, you think about every other world religion or philosophy or ideology, and all of them say what? We need your service. We need your money. We need your time. If you do these things, guess what? We'll accept you. God will accept you. That's everything in the world says that. Even if it's not a religion, even if it's a philosophy, even if it's a community project, it still says, we need your service. And often we think God is coming to us saying, first and foremost, hey, I need you to read your Bibles more. 
I need you to clean your life up. Hey, I need you to do this or that. If you really want me to bless you and love you, you need to do a couple of things. Often we think God is saying, I need you to serve me. But that's not the news of the gospel. That's not what God is commanding the world. No, what's crazy and what's amazing is that God's command, his demand of you and of me is receive the service of my son. Receive the love of my son. That's the command. That's the call first and foremost. God does not need your service. Jesus does not need your service. You need his. And I need his. That's the gospel. And he's making that point to his disciples. He's saying, you don't understand. I serve you. Like, you you don't understand. Like, you can't fix you. You tried? How many of us keep struggling with the same things over and over again? You, you, You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't get rid of your sin. You can't. Jesus is telling his disciples, I have to serve you. You need the serving. I don't need your serving. That is the great news of the gospel. He doesn't just wash our feet of dirt. He washes our heart from sin. That's what he's offering. That's what God wants. Receive my son's service. Receive his love. See, when you see the gospel for what it is, it's so counterintuitive. Because we naturally think, no, no, I got to get better first. What God keeps saying is, no, you don't understand. You can't get good enough for me. You can't clean yourself up enough for me to receive you. Nothing you do can make me receive you. Only Jesus can. That's what this day is about, by the way. Sundays are about being reminded because all week you hear the lie in your mind got to make up for that sin or God better pay me what he owes me and you come together to hear the word of God and you were reminded no 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 God says no let me serve you let me bless you through Jesus that's the gospel when you see that when you see this is what God is like that melts your heart that makes you say he doesn't need me yet he still comes after me he still serves me I want to follow him he cleansed me from all my sin. I want to go after him. And what we see in the text right after this is that as Jesus serves them, as he's loving them, laced within that is a certain amount of expectation. His love is free. His service is free. He wants to do it. But as he serves them, laced within his love is a certain amount of expectation. Look at verses 13 through 17. After he washes their feet, this is what Jesus says. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. See, when Jesus serves us, his expectation is that you would mimic his service to other people. I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't say, okay, now you guys come serve me. Disciples, my feet are dirty too. Y'all come wash my feet. It's not what he says. He doesn't need their service. He says, no, you don't serve me. You go serve other people. You go mimic this to other people. That's what you go and do. See, Jesus is saying, 
Through his service, he has become our Lord, our master, our teacher, our leader, our Christ, our savior. He says, if I get on my hands and knees and I wash your feet and I'm your leader, I'm your Lord, I'm your savior, how much more should you get on your hands and feet and wash other people's feet? That's what he's saying. You and I should not expect anything less than that. He doesn't need our service, but other people do. And this is where following Jesus becomes difficult. This is where it becomes difficult for you and for me. Because it's in this moment where we realize, okay, we don't have a problem being served. Like none of us in here are like, I hate being served by people. Really? Really? You love it. So do I. It's easy for us. And especially for some reason, it's very easy for us to be served by Jesus. Like you may struggle receiving the grace of God, for sure, all of us do. But none of us, when I was reading that text, or when I'm, I'm preaching about Jesus serving you, none of you were thinking, he shouldn't serve me. Why would Jesus ever serve me? He shouldn't. None of you thought that. Because for some reason, it seems natural to us that Jesus would serve us. He should. He loves me. I'm special. He should serve me. It makes a ton of sense to us that Jesus would serve us, but it doesn't feel that way when he says, now go serve other people. That doesn't feel as natural. Hey, go serve that person that deep down you think you're better than. Hey, go serve your spouse even though they wronged you yesterday. Hey, go serve that person who's made some bad life decisions and you feel like they're getting what they deserve. You start thinking, well, that doesn't feel as natural to serve people like that. And that's the tension of following Jesus. You get around him and you hear about his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness and you love it. I love it. It's refreshing. It ministers to us. We go, that's amazing. I love him. But then he says on the back end of that service, he goes, but I'm expecting you to go serve other people now. The word of God comes in and he says, I want you to do things that to you feel impossible. Actions that feel unreasonable. For you to serve in ways you've never thought of, in ways you never wanted, in ways you've never done. And all of a sudden we have the tension of following Jesus and saying, oh, his service to me is free, but as he does it, there's expectations that come along with it. And those are his expectations that you would mimic his service that he's given to you to other people. And that, that's the passion of our church. The passion of our church is to say, okay, this is hard. This is difficult. We know, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know how to do it, but he says we need to. And the passion of our church is to say, yes. The passion of this church is to say, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, we're gonna say yes knowing he's better. We're, we're going to remind each other as a community and say, I know it's hard, but keep going. There's life when you follow him. Keep going. Nothing satisfies like him. Keep going. Keep going. We're going to do that as a church. And especially when it comes to us obeying God's command to serve the poor in our city. Especially this one. When you read the Old and New Testament, the narrative throughout is God is always telling his people do not forget about the poor. Serve them, care for them, clothe them, love them, resource them, sacrifice for them. You can read it yourself over and over again, the Old and New Testament. God's always saying the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, you must serve them because you were poor, you were marginalized, you were oppressed, and I served you. 
He says it again and again and again. And we as a church want to say, I don't even know what that looks like all the time, but we want to say yes. And you think about it, about that, that reality. Okay, we as a church have to serve the people in our city who are easily forgotten, easily oppressed, and we have to be their advocate. We have to be the ones who serve and come alongside of them. But then you have natural questions of, well, how do I do that? I mean, how do I do that when I don't even know them, when I don't live around them, when they're not in my sphere of influence? I mean, how do I love somebody who has a very complicated story and issues and struggles? And even more so, many of you are thinking, well, how do I do that and still be faithful to my family, to my job, to, the, to sharing the gospel in my workplace and in my neighborhood? How do I do all of these things? And these are the questions we've been wrestling with for some time as a church. And back in 2008 and 2009, they were in the forefront of our mind because we were reading the scriptures together as a church and we were realizing, okay, to be faithful to Jesus is to receive his love, to receive his grace. But then texts like John 13 and texts like the Good Samaritan were like splinters in our brain. We kept thinking, but it seems like there's more than that. We kept thinking texts like this Make it clear that, yes, receive his grace, receive his service. But then it says, but it must turn into action. It must turn into actually serving people. And often as the church generally, we love the first part. Grace, grace, grace. But then Jesus says, yes, now go serve. We're like, I don't want to do that part. What we as a church we're wrestling with is saying, we're not okay with saying no to something that Jesus says yes to. So we began to have these conversations back in 2008 and 2009, and out of these conversations, out of this conviction, was birthed the For the City Network. This nonprofit that's designed to equip the church to love and serve the orphan and the widow and the under-resourced and the forgotten for us to be their advocates. This organization that is built and designed to help those of you who have received the service and the love of Jesus to then mimic that and by getting your hands dirty in this city by loving other people in real practical ways. And so I want to show you guys a quick kind of two and a half minute video about the For the City Network so you can get an idea of what they're passionate about and what they're doing. Let's go and watch this together and I'll come back up and close this out. As Christians, we're called to restore our city for the sake of the gospel. In his perfect love, God gives us everything in Jesus, and he frees us to give our everything. Through our words and our actions, we're called to meet the needs of our city. There is physical, social, emotional, and spiritual brokenness here. And for our joy and his glory, God invites us to be a part of bringing his kingdom here by demonstrating and declaring his love. But if we're honest, it's pretty overwhelming. There's just so much brokenness. There is so much pain, so much poverty. We see it in our neighborhoods, on the street corners, in the news. It can be paralyzing to know where to begin. But this is where we come in. The For the City Network exists to help you get involved and live out God's call to restore brokenness, to meet the needs in our city. We know a lot of organizations who are doing some really great things here. They're standing up for the widow and the orphan. They're seeking peace in families. They're feeding and clothing our neighbors. They're bearing burdens for the weak and the oppressed. And these organizations need people who will get involved and serve alongside them. They need you. But we do the groundwork for you. We find and vet organizations 
and come up with tons of ways for you to get involved in our city. You just go to our website and search. By issue or interest, time of day, day of week, what do you like? What stirs your heart? How are you gifted? When are you most available? Type a couple words, click a few buttons, and there's a whole menu of opportunities. Browse what we come up with. Pick one or two or ten, enter your information, and you're well on your way to getting plugged in. It's really simple, we promise. Let's consider this. What if thousands of Christians got involved in caring for our city, in being restorers of streets? What if we lived lives of mercy and justice? What if we loved the hurting, fed the hungry, spoke up for the weak? Imagine the light of Christ, his light in you, shining in the dark, broken places all over Austin. Imagine if we demonstrated with our time, with our gifts, with our lives, that Jesus restores all things. Imagine if our city saw something different, heard something different, came to know someone different, someone named Jesus. He is the light in our city and the hope of our world. He is the hope for Austin. Will you join us? Will you seek the restoration of Austin? Will you be for the city? Great, let's go and do it. All of us, every single one of us, has a role to play in serving this city. And the For the City Network, their job is to equip you and help you do that. Now, before you um, discount this, before you find yourself checking out and saying why you're um, disqualified from doing or too busy to do it, I want to be clear and candid with you that all of us will have varying degrees of involvement in this. We will as a church. Not everybody's going to be involved in the exact same way. Like there are some of you in this room, as you hear about God's heart for the poor and the oppressed, and you hear about For the City Network, something in you is burning, like families in here, missional communities in here, and you're thinking, I've got to be a part of that. I've got to be a part of that. Then your, your role, you, the way you're involved is going to be on the front lines of this by being the hands and feet all over the city and being part of For the City Network and different organizations they partner with. That's going to be your mission. Some of you need to do that. You need to make it a point to sacrifice whatever you need to to be a part of this. But others of us, you hear that, and you're like, I love that, that's great, but nothing in me feels particularly impassioned or emboldened for it. I have other things that I really love and things I really want to be a part of and a mission that I'm already doing. Well, that's great, but you and I are not exempt from this. We still need to play a role, so that may mean supporting the For the City Network and the initiatives and organizations financially. That may mean sacrificing in different ways so that we can support the people who are on the front lines doing the work. That may mean you serving from time to time when you have an opportunity, taking your family to serve in this city once a month, once a quarter, once a year, whatever it may be. But all of us have a role to play. And so whether you're on the front end of that and you're passionate, this is your ministry, this is your mission, or you're on the back end of that and you are going to give financially and pray for this, either way, all of us in this room have a very clear, tangible next step of obedience. See, usually on Sundays, what we do is the word of God is preached, and the way you and I respond is through singing praises to God. We we do that on purpose. We do it, it's a theological conviction, because when God's word is preached, we should repent and have joy and faith in him. That's why we sing, is opportunity to repent and believe the gospel and sing his praises again. But today, your response of worship is not to sing. 
Now today, your response of worship is to visit the 30 plus organizations that are in our cafeteria in the high school right now. 30 plus organizations that, that the For the City Network has vetted and partners with that's serving in this city for you to consider to go visit them after this service, right after I'm done, and then consider what does it mean, what does it look like for me to mimic the service of Jesus that he's given to me in this city to those who are under-resourced and marginalized. That's what we're going to do today. So what we're going to do after I'm done, you're going to walk out these doors, go down the stairs, take a left, and you're going to begin to consider what is God calling you to? Don't dream small dreams here, church. Like, what is God calling you to? You don't want to look back at your life and say, I spent all of my money and all of my time and all my resources on me. You don't want to do that. No one wants to look back and have that story. You want to look back on your life and say, I gave everything for the kingdom. I messed up. I didn't know how to do it all the time, but I did my best. That's what you want to say. That's what I want to say. And so we've shortened the service on, on purpose so you have plenty of time. Here's my challenge to you. Don't leave until you found three organizations that you're going to consider partnering with in some form or some fashion. Don't leave until you find at least three. There's almost 30 down there. Find three. Make that point. If you have kids, they're still in their program. They'll be fine. You want to leave them longer? They'll be fine, right? But consider what it means for us as a church to serve this city. What does it say to our city when people sacrifice for those who don't have much, for those who've been oppressed? What does that say? To me, it sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus to me going to a people who have no hope and everything's against them. And having an advocate, that sounds like our Jesus to me, the way he served us, the way he loved us. And so I want to close by reading his words to you. John 13, 14 through 17. This is what Jesus said. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you, should, you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All of us have a role to play, and you're only exempt if you haven't received the love and service of Jesus. You're only exempt if you haven't been loved and served by Jesus. But if you've received the joy of his love and his grace and his forgiveness, I want you to hear what he just said. There's more blessing waiting for you in obedience. There's more joy waiting for you in obedience. That verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you talk about them. Blessed are you if you sing about them, if you think about them. No, blessed are you if you do them. Church, you have to remember when Jesus says, go this direction, he has only joy for you in mind. So let's be a church who is passionate about the joy God has in mind for us by going and serving this city. Let's pray together. Father, we are a people prone to make much of ourselves. We are a people prone to hoard the things you've given us, the time, the resources, the money. We're prone to hoard it, Father. God, we act like you're not going to take care of us. But God, would you remind us that through Jesus, you have met all of our needs. And the majority of us in here, you have blessed so much. 
God, would you make us a people who get your love in such a way to realize our service doesn't earn anything. Our service doesn't pay you back. You don't need our service. You don't need us to do anything for you. You are fine. You are in the heavens. You are full. But God, you have loved us in such a way that it melts our hearts to want to go serve other people. For people to know that God hasn't forgotten about them. God, we want to be that type of church. Would you make us that kind of people? We cannot manufacture it. God, would you bring your spirit to us? Would he give us dreams to dream of how you could use us to see people's lives changed by this gospel and that more people would join us in this city saying, this Jesus must be alive and there is none like him because God, that is true. God, use us towards that end in Christ's name, amen.